The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 154 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We sure appreciate it. We have got a dynamite conversation coming up for you this week. My guest, Jacob Haney, has been a friend of mine for a very long time. Uh, We worked on a film project together many years ago that he produced. And uh, just, I love Jacob. He's such a good man. And I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to end up talking about. But as he kind of told his story of, uh, of faith and kind of uh, how he got to where he is right now. It's just a beautiful story, and I'm so grateful to him. You are absolutely going to love it. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, it's a phone call from an old friend. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, right here in the Latter-day Live studios, we are recording live, which is so good to be in person. Uh, My guest today is a longtime friend of mine. He is a very creative person, a storyteller, a filmmaker, a marketer, and he just uh, all-around creative, good guy. Jacob Haney, welcome to the show. Thanks. We're going to get into a lot of stuff today, storytelling and uh, all the creative stuff that you do, but let's start out by getting to know you. Tell us where you're from. Yeah, so born in Bountiful, and uh, six months old, moved to Sacramento, California. Mm, I didn't know that. And lived there for the first decade or so of my life, and then moved back to Bountiful um, for the end of third grade, then moved again to a different place in Bountiful for fourth grade, and then moved to Provo for fifth grade. Um, It had already started, and then uh, moved like four houses down. And my parents still live there in South Provo. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I think at, at one point my parents were like, did, did we scar you by having to move you so much? But um, <laughs> but actually it forced me to have to learn to make friends and like get to know people. And um, it's actually one of the joys of my life is meeting people and getting to know people. So like, if people ask you the old question, where are you from? you have a one-word answer? Is it Provo? Do you consider yourself from Provo or Sacramento? or Yeah, more, more is probably grounded in Provo. It sort of is, depending on the circumstance, what I'll, what, you know, if I, if I feel like I'll make a better connection because yeah, <laughs> if they're from California, I'll, I'll bring up that or Bountiful. I can claim a couple places, sure. I guess. And you live in Utah County now? Yeah, I live in American Fork. All right. So growing up, uh, were you raised in the church? Yeah. Yes, I was. How many kids in your family? So I'm the oldest of eight kids. Oldest of eight. That's a lot. Yeah. So I was um, halfway through my mission and I got a phone call in Italy. Hey, you've got a baby sister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So I was 20, 20 years older than my youngest sister. And interestingly, so my my sister, my so I'm the oldest. My, the next oldest is like 15 months younger than me, mm. and she was at Snow College. And within five minutes of meeting her roommate, she was like, "You need to go out with my brother." I was on a mission, 
and um, she ended up setting us up when I got home. We got married, but my future wife met my younger sister before I did. <laughs> Not many people get to say that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So my kids, I have eight kids. My oldest is uh, 29. My youngest is 16. All the older kids say that the youngest has it worlds easier. Did you feel like that? Did you feel like your youngest siblings, like the rules were lighter? And um, I felt like I got a lot more of my dad's time and energy. Oh, yeah. And they got a lot more of his money. <laughs> <laughs> my kids claim that, too. Yeah. There is more money now and fewer kids to vie for it. Yeah. Yeah. It is different. Like, so my wife will be like, oh, I didn't realize you guys did this in your family. I was like, no, that wasn't my family. That's their family. You know, it's, it is different. It's, I mean, 20 years is a big span. Now, so I have six kids. Yeah. They're all boys. And there's a 16-year span. So from 20 down to four. I, I don't know if I appreciated how much, like, I, as a parent kept evolving as I was having mm. kids. That was like right. the 23-year-old me versus now the 43-year-old me. Sure. And it's like, of course, I'm going to do things a little different. Or like, I, if we believe in progression, if we believe yeah. in like, if we don't have a fixed mindset or have a growth mentality, then the other part of that is like, I, I guess I just thought my parents had it all figured out. And then, right? and they're still trying to figure out who they are as, as people and, um, you know, my dad retired um, just a little bit ago. My my mom never worked outside of the home. And uh, shortly after my dad retired, he got called to the Provo City Center Temple Presidency. Oh, wow. And so my, my mom is a matron there. And now with COVID, it's a little different because their hours are different. But it went from, okay, you're going to be retired, and now you get to work 60 hours a week at the yeah. temple. And and just, it was a challenge for my for my mom with, uh, on a number of facets with health and with, um, with different things. And um, it was, it was a growth opportunity for her. And it's been inspiring to see how the Lord supported her in that. And like, but yeah, we're not done, yeah. you know, you keep progressing. When you were young, uh, what were you, what were you into? G.I. Joe, He-Man, Transformers. <laughs> Um, I I can look back and see like I would set up these elaborate scenarios and like there were these storylines that we would narrate you know and it wasn't I remember I just thought that was how it's done one being the oldest and I sort of set the precedent of how things were done but but then we went to a, a friend's house and played with their transformers and it was it was more like a smash 'em up. Mm. like boxing with transformers in your hands it was yeah. more about like let's hit each other with them and and it was it was like oh but what's what's the mission what are we trying to accomplish where's the you know what what's the story we're playing out and and i was you know i can see threads of sort of you know be, being a storyteller even then but you know i had no idea at that point you already mentioned you went on a mission tell us about your mission yeah, I was called to the Italy Padova mission. Where's Padova? So it's in the northeastern part of Italy, around Venice, Florence, Pisa, Verona. I think, like for a lot of people, it was a transformative time. Um, 
the first three months of my mission, I think it took me about that long before I was comfortable actually talking to people. And it wasn't just the language barrier. It was, I really had a hard time bugging people. I mm. cared too much about what other people thought of me. And it was, and people were annoyed. Like they didn't want to stop and talk to me. They didn't like that. I was ringing their doorbell. And you're, you're up against, I mean, you know, I was down in Chile, strong Catholic presence in Chile. Everybody kind of by default is Catholic or a lot of born again Christian. But if there's a strong Catholic ethos, like in Chile, talk about that Catholic ethos in Italy. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's in their blood. That's, yeah, it's, a, it's such a heritage and tradition and, and a beautiful, warm, loving people. And if I had gone there just as an American kid to go make friends, it would have been the best time of my life. And it was actually an amazing time, too. But, like, you could you – could, such warm and loving people. Um, I, think, I think in a lot of ways had, that had they have this deep tradition, a deep sense of their identity – and also, and also a lot of disillusionment around mm. religion. The most common thing we got was, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Pope, but I'm Catholic. Wow, And go away. <laughs> but, huh. And so, so when we meet some people that were like very devout and very like, um, it, was, it was actually refreshing. But, but I, th- I think still people were spiritual, were, um, loved God, and, and particularly loved family. Um, and loved people. I honor anyone who who follows any faith tradition. I mean, one, it's right. You're the oddball out, no matter what it is mm-hmm. um, in today today's world. But also, I, I think they um, they all help us become better. So you come home from your mission. Uh, what came next? Yeah, I went to BYU. I studied film. Um, Did you know what you wanted to do with that at the time? Like, were you wanting to be Hollywood filmmaker? Or was it always an idea behind more advertising, marketing? So when I graduated from high school, I I had a, I was accepted to BYU. Um, I, I um, had a scholarship and I had to defer. And in order to do that, I had to declare a major. And so logically it was microbiology <laughs> because um i i did well on the the ap biology test i i loved science and i still do and i love figuring how things work out or figuring out how things work and um and it seemed like a real job it seemed like a real profession or something right um even though i'd always done art and i did writing and poetry and stuff i um it never, it never really occurred to me that that would be a profession. I declared that major and never took a single class in it. Halfway through my mission, on one one of the calls home over Christmas or Mother's Day, I just was like, oh, by the way, I, I want to change all my classes to film instead of microbiology. And there was a long pause, you know, and like, I feel like I, there was some personal revelation I got as far as like, some of the things that were we went on a family trip right before my mission to Wyoming to like Yellowstone and stuff like that and I took um a biography of George Lucas with me mm. read it and I've I've been a Star Wars fan probably as long as I've been aware yeah. so I mean that there was that kicking around in my head um 
on my mission seeing how some of the audiovisual things could help invite the spirit. Um, and I say that a little bit hesitantly because I think there's also things that were that could be cheesy or manipulative, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. particularly growing up, you know, like Cypher in the Snow it was just like, <laughs> hey, let me hit you over the head with a frying pan of like, but, the, but I guess more an awareness of the power of the medium to influence yeah. sure. um, emotions and feeling and like set people in a state that they're open to, to things. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly. There wasn't a, um, there wasn't a pivotal moment where I was like, I'm going to switch my major. It just was like, suddenly you knew. It was like, and, and interestingly, so like, I don't know, some of my friends, you know, spend five years figuring out what they want their major to be. Yeah. I, I switched it before I had taken a single class and then I graduated in three years. I just was like, boom, this is it. I'm doing it. And, (laughs) but I was, I was a bit of an oddball in the sense of like, I didn't have the I want to be the Mormon Spielberg yeah. thing. I I want to go to L.A. and it's it's a, be a, a Hollywood director or bust. That was my heart was never in that. Did you know what you wanted to do though? Like throughout BYU, or were you just saying I'm I'm going to get this degree and to see? I th- I think I probably had a naive belief that you follow the rules, you you get good grades, you get into college, and you graduate, and then there's a job waiting for you. Which is not Which is, the case in the film world. No, no, it in isn't. In any kind of creative, and world. and it's not. I, and I don't think it. It is moving forward hardly for anything anymore. That's, that's totally true. And uh, the game plan was: I'm just going to focus on school, and maybe get a side job or something, but a small thing, but just focus on school. And I had it. I had it in my heart that um, to go teach at the MTC. Right. What, what What could be more of a righteous desire than right to keep my language active and go yeah. go help other missionaries and um and i went i went and you know did a uh, interview you know they have they have you like okay we're gonna teach you especially then when it was these are the lessons yeah. and it's very f- like rigid the discussions yeah. yeah and so they like we're gonna teach the principle and then we'll have you teach it and in my head it was very much like okay i'm gonna take the principles of what you just said and you want me to put that in my own words and in my own style? No, they they just wanted you to regurgitate yeah. that for whatever reason. I, I was I was devastated that I didn't get the job. I thought, well, of course the Lord would want me to, you know, stay close to the gospel, like and and be around missionaries and keep up my language so I could be of service. Um, but I didn't get it, and um, and shortly thereafter, uh, it was maybe three weeks, um, there was a basically an internship open up at a like a corporation that they needed an assistant editor and uh, it got me into the f- the field and you know, it was super at the bottom of the the ladder in terms of I was logging umatic and beta sp tapes you know for their library scanning through and taking screenshots of you know what what clips are on this tape you know that mm, was yeah. this huge library of tapes that experience, though, working with an in-house team, and they were producing a twice-a-month satellite show and doing commercials and other stuff. They had a, a camera guy, they had a producer, an animator. And so they were, in a lot of ways, my mentors. And they, my boss um, was actually Ron Bruff. Oh, who, yeah. Sure. Who was yeah, executive producer on the thing we worked on. 
Yeah. He um, he encouraged me to stay after off the clock and learn learn whatever I wanted. So I was plugging in VHS tapes to learn After Effects, you know. And then I back then it was two um, mini fridge sizes for sized hard drives that had 1.2 gigabytes on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the editing system and um, and so I. I learned a wealth of things on the job, and um, and shortly thereafter, it was it was probably eighteen months. Um, they laid everybody off except me in that department. It was a blow of like, oh, job security is an illusion, even if it's at a big company, yeah. and that you never know what's going to come. But it also it ended up being such a blessing too for me developmentally in my career because I was the cheap college kid so it wasn't hard to keep me around but the fact that i had stayed after and learned all these things um i was i was writing stuff and i was shooting it and editing it and and pulling together all the pieces and delivering it and you know sometimes it was crazy of like editing for 36 hours straight and then getting on a plane with a beta tape that i had to hand deliver to a show that was playing in minneapolis and like get there five minutes before it has to air and just, you know, like, okay, there's, there's sacrifices, demands, but it was, um, I'm a huge proponent of education. I think it's super valuable, but I, I think I would have been, it would have been hugely lacking for me if I hadn't have had this other job mm. path. And I'm so grateful that the Lord knew that that was going to open up doors for me and didn't give me the job at the MTC. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that, that first job and those mentors with, um, Ron Bruff and the other people on the team got me employable skills. And yeah. I think I think the education part also gave me a broader um language and in understanding to to bring those tactical skills to bear. Part of why it was particularly useful to have the practical job experience was um I was also in a unique situation for the film program was that I graduated, by the time I graduated, I had a one-year-old son. I was married and had a one-year-old where most of my peers were like, okay, let's start Let's start shooting at 10 p.m. and we'll yeah. go through the night. And I was like, <laughs> I've got, I've, I've got um, to get up at 5 a.m. to work a custodial job and then finish at 8 to go to school at, at my first class at 8.30 or 9 and then go to school till 3, then get off and go to my day job from... Wow. Like three to seven, and then study till ten p.m. And um, I have a wife and a little baby, and so it was a, just a different experience than sure than some of it, where you know it was about fun with being your friends and being on set. And so I I um I don't wish that away at all. I just see that like I wasn't having the that practical experience right. from hanging out on everybody's sets. I was doing. And and also getting through college in three years, it was like I didn't mess around. It was I got the, what needed to be done, and um, where I think I think you could go to school and get be on sets and do a lot of things yeah. and get a valuable experience. It was just my path had um, I was already like yeah. needing to be providing. You know, it's very different. Garrett Batty, you know, we've had him on the show, and and he told us about you know working. With guys like Ryan, I mean, guys who just doing lots of student films, and you were just in a different track, 
Where did you end up uh, doing your uh, post or your graduate work? President Hinckley announced the Perpetual Education Fund, and it was during priesthood session. And I remember sitting there, and revelation doesn't always happen this way for me, but it was a very clear kind of like verbal message in my head of, you need to go back to school. It's like, oh. Um, remember coming home and telling my wife, um, hey, looks like I need, I need to go back to school. It felt like felt something. And since then, anytime I come back from priesthood sessions, it's like, so what, what is it this time? <laughs> you know, what are we <laughs> having to uproot? This was, this was right after September 11th. Um, having a solid job with benefits, we were um, uh, we had one kid. We soon were going to have a second. So we had we had our second right before we left for graduate school. And so it, it logically didn't make a lot of sense to leave a perfectly good job um, with benefits when the economy was like in free fall and just like yeah. people were losing jobs and you know we didn't know what was happening next. Um, but I decided to move forward with that impression and but I didn't have any idea of what that should be so I was like oh this could be fun art history or anthropology or sociology like things that seemed interesting to me yeah but it was um I always kept being pulled back towards business which it it felt like a necessary evil and then Syracuse University had one that was uh it was a hybrid program for the MBA school and the communication school and there, it was more focused on um, advertising and marketing, kind of. Um. And you actually moved to Syracuse? Yeah, yeah. So we moved to Syracuse, um, lived there with, and that was as far as like being an oddball out, being a, a graduate student with two kids. And like we went to a opening like barbecue for the communication school and the dean. You know, his his kids were my kids' age. You know, he was in his fifties. I'm in my twenties, and you know, we're you might as well had like horns on our head or something. You know, that was like, what? Why? There was only one of their of my um, peers that was married, but he was he was in his mid forties and had hmm. no kids. And so you finish your time at Syracuse. Uh, did, did did you get clarity while you were at Syracuse as to what came next? So it was a it was an intensive program. It was a two year degree smushed into fourteen months. Wow! And then um, the Syracuse ward was lovely and amazing people, and like a lot of the students are the lifeblood of kind of the ward. Um, and there's there's stalwart members there too that that are fantastic. But a, a lot of the callings tend to um, pull in. So I was I was called an elders quorum. I think I had six home teaching families that were all inactive and some wow. of them, you know, 15 miles away. We did visits every Wednesday. We did splits with the missionaries every Sunday. It was, mm. it was a more involved calling than, than I think I've had maybe in my life. It was, it was a lot asked of me. And on top of a very accelerated program, in retrospect, I never knew this till years and years later that my wife said, that was probably the closest um, I ever came from wanting a divorce. Just, I think, I think moving cross country was really hard. Um, being away from family was really hard. She'd yeah. never really kind of been away. That makes sense. And and then also like, we used to cook dinner together all the time. We used to do everything together, and it was it was. Um, and now suddenly, a newborn, a three month old, and a three year old in a 
foreign place and uh, and I'm not around at yeah. all. So all of that is an antecedent to setting up. Where the, the the Palmyra Temple is, is only about an hour or so away from yeah. Syracuse, down the ninety. But I only had a chance to go once. You know, mm. it was like it was a bit. It was a bigger commitment to, to have to make it out there. Made the trip, went through a session. So two things that kind of popped up with that. So um, in the endowment and felt. I needed to, we needed to move to Bethesda, Maryland. Okay, Bethesda, Maryland. What? I had to go look where that was. There had been nothing else. You just suddenly. Yeah. It was Bethesda. Yeah, and and so then it had been the former headquarters of Discovery Channel, and I was like, okay, it means I I should. Lord wants me to go work for Discovery Channel, or or something like that. So living in student housing. Um, in Syracuse, it's sort of you graduate and you have three days before they kick you out, <laughs> and so we're we're coming up on when we're going to be leaving. And it's like okay, we need we need to move to Bethesda, Maryland. I don't I don't have a job there. I'm trying to network, and so wait. We, how did your wife react when you said, "Hey, guess what? Remember the revelation I got before? Now it's time to was, go to Bethesda." She was pissed. <laughs> that's, that's not a. <laughs> <laughs> or what's a better way to say that? She was very unhappy. She was mad. She was really mad because she was like, no, this was, we were going to go and then we're, we're going to come back. And now you're telling me we're going to be stuck out east forever. Yeah. We, we loved it in Syracuse. And I think we could have been happy staying there. Um, it wasn't the plan. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't what her expectations were at that time. Sure. And, but also like incredible partners and like in terms of like in life. And um, so it wasn't that she wasn't supportive at all, but I think it was. It was a curveball, you know, yeah, and like who, you know, and and who am I to come in and say, pack up your stuff and move into the wilderness? Um, <laughs> we have this notion we need to go to Bethesda, Maryland. Um, one that's not a cheap place to go. We were poor students. Um, we figure out okay, we've got we found a storage unit. We could rent um, a moving truck. We can. We can put our stuff in, and eventually got to point. Okay, we just got to commit. We're just, and it's this. This is stressful, you know. Like we we figured out how many days we could stay in a hotel until, and then until we were out of money. And then my wife had found like hostels or like shelters where we could stay until I found a job. That is stressful. And and so we the day that the day that we booked it was in the morning. I booked uh, the storage unit. And the moving truck, like, hey, we're we're doing this. We're Lord told us we're going to go to Bethesda, Maryland. We're gonna we're gonna make this happen. That morning, we made the reservations online, and uh, and a few hours later, um, we get. I got a call from my old boss. I was like, hey, I know you're graduating soon. Um, could you come help us for eight weeks of just we've got. A bunch of video projects to do. Wonder if you have some availability. I remember hanging up and um, telling my wife, and we both fell on our knees and were crying. Because one, it like we were moving forward, but it was also like I don't know where is this going to go. Like we we don't have a job, we don't have any place to really live. But um, it felt like a little bit like the. You know, Lord provided a ram. You know, a little that's bit. That's what I was about to say. I was I was about to bring up that exact. Are you willing? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to go where 
you know, you're not going to have to, but are you willing? Jacob, that's yeah. amazing. And so we, we took, we took that eight week gig. Um, and that was here in Utah. It was in Utah. And so because it was short term, we're like, okay, we're, we're just going to be here for this amount of time. Um, we, we stayed with my wife's grandma and she had, she had a big house and was the only one there and other people in the family had sort of had their stint, you know, staying there for a bit. So we're like, okay, we'll move into the basement and, um, and those eight weeks turned into a lot longer. And that was a, that was a blessing and also a difficulty because we had, we still had this mandate, right? There's some, we're going to go back to Bethesda. It was grandma's health went downhill. She, she got Parkinson's, mm. um, needed a lot more care. Um, in a lot of ways, it was a huge blessing for her to have us there. But for me, it was, um, it was a, it was a hard time. It was a dark time because I felt like, okay, I just, I left a perfectly good job. I went and took on student debt and I came back to work for the same company as a freelancer doing video projects where I, I really thought I was going to go be some small cog in a big machine media conglomerate back East or on the coast somewhere. And I felt like I was wasting my business degree. I felt like um, mm. it was like, okay, Lord, where, where am I supposed to do now? I'm supposed to be in DC, but all like the doors are opening here and they're not opening there. Um, so I went, I went and spent a month uh, with my cousin in Fairfax, Virginia, in the D.C. area, and did job interviews. I got a, a cell phone with a D.C. number. I was trying to just be there and commit, like, I, we're going to do this um, thing, and the doors will open. It's about the end of that month, and it was... It's about the end of that month, and it was one of the students that I, was, uh, that I helped teach at Syracuse that was teaching assistant... Um, one of the undergrads that I helped teach was uh, her dad worked at Discovery Channel and he got me an interview and uh, it was on a Tuesday. Um, they said, we want you to start on Thursday. I, f- I felt like I got direction in the temple about going to this place. Um, and then just the, as a kid, like every science show I could watch and like, hey, guess what, mom? koala bears do this and this and or like this type of algae is you know it's like, i was just like loved learning about that and it was like so fun for me um so in all ways it just seemed like this is the natural progression of moving up in my career that of course i should this door should open for me and and here they want me to be an assistant producer at, on the animal planet um the actual job might have been making coffee and in, in, in printing copies of stuff. Sure. Assistant knows, but, producer has a range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it assistant general manager or assistant to the <laughs> to general the manager? General manager, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, my wife had flown out that day to because we were going to like pick up our car, which was still in Syracuse, and drive it back across country. And so she's there in Silver Springs, Maryland with me, after this job interview and we we walked a few blocks to this Mexican restaurant and we sat for about three hours and talked about it. I was somewhat floored when she was like, I don't think we should take it. I was like, wait, that hadn't occurred to me. It was, it was just a, you know, like it, for me, it was, okay, how do we, how do we make this work? Like there's, that's the yeah. only path. This is the only thing. And my wife was like, I, 
I just don't think we should take it. I don't think it's right for us. And I th- I've had people ask if I felt resentful or I, I, she didn't make that decision for us. I, we very much were a partnership and like discussed it. And it was one, it just hadn't entered my consciousness to even consider not taking it. And it was like, okay, so we'll, um, and I called back and was like, yeah, we're going to pass on this one. <laughs> I, st- I, it didn't, it didn't feel right. It wasn't, wasn't where we needed to be at that that point. Did did the Lord change His mind? Did did was I did I miss the window? Was it just about putting me in the right place? Um, you know, in hindsight, you can maybe connect the dots or try to see what was supposed to be. And I I don't know if there's always that. So we came back to Utah, um, still living in my wife's grandma's basement, mm. um, and we stayed there f- for four years until she passed away. We wow. took care of her. That basically gave us the uh, the financial ability to start a business. Like it was, it had never been on my mind. It was um, I was going to be a good rank and file employee and be a good worker bee, yeah, and do what I needed to be told. And I th- I feel like I have TurboTax to thank for my business. Um, <laughs> so the first year with doing freelance opportunities, so I. Um, I did that one eight-week project. It turned into a year-long engagement. Other people called up. I, I had to um, had to get other people to help. And I was doing this on the side while I was trying to still apply for jobs in D.C. And so I was, but I was too busy with side work to get a real job. And I was filling out my taxes. And TurboTax pops up this this pop-up window that says, because you have ten ninety-nine income the IRS considers that you're running a small business. I was like, oh, I'm not wasting my business degree. I'm not doing piddly side jobs. I'm, I'm running a small business. <laughs> Let's do this. And, and so we incorporated, we got an office. We, I hired my first employee. It was like, it was just a mental switch in my head. It was just the story I was telling myself that was different. And that was, we, the official start date was 2006. Isimo started then, and it was. I can see now that like a lot more of what our family values and needed um, has been provided because of this path. Um, we didn't get the job at the MTC, but there was a better path that. And that, and I don't know if there's always a clear. There's only one good way to go. I think the Lord loves us and trusts us enough to let us choose between good options. Sure. And, I believe that. Yeah. And there but I do think there's times where he nudges us or opens doors that we didn't expect. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, f- I feel like I can definitely see the hand of the Lord in so many places. And this has taken you on to just your life and the things that you've been able to do since you started ECMO. Uh it's just incredible. You've worked on some really cool projects. I'm gonna bring up two because they're there are actually two. One I was really involved in, and one I was a beneficiary of. The one I was really involved with, we made a film called uh, Mormon Mythelaneous, which I think we need to point out right now that neither you nor I named. <laughs> uh, we had a. It was a committee. Was a, there was a better name for it at one point, but we basically. Uh, that's how you and I met. I, you were shooting uh, this. It was it was MythBusters for church lore. Yeah, so we did, especially early on, we did um, Mormon Mythelaneous was the first full-length um, 
I didn't know that was the first. The first full-length like documentary that, and it was a, yeah, it showed after, I think 2008 General Conference in October. Yeah, it was on TV. Yeah, um, and then sold in Desert Book, um, single book type stuff. Um, and there was a companion book to it. Too. Yeah. So we we formulated that concept and pitched it to them, and they. Um, but it once again, it was Ron Bruff there, who yeah. was my mentor earlier on, and uh, is is now like he greenlights those kind of projects and executive produces things. And the second one we did was uh, the stories from the life of Porter Rockwell, and that that was also really um, interesting and rewarding. Um, both were um, not the best. Uh, financial model for running a business, you know, of, of pouring tens of thousands of dollars of your own money into isn't a, the best way to make a living. Uh, but it was, it was a labor of love and it was something that, um, Porter Rockwell, we still get some nominal royalty, yeah. you know, quarterly of like enough to maybe buy lunch or something. Um, <laughs> so, so it was, uh, but that, that stint sort of, that was the last one that we kind of did. Mm. We did do um, BYU football, um, like the stadium animations and scoreboard stuff um, through ISP Sports for two seasons. That that was fun. It was also like, and even when we did Real Salt Lake stuff, same thing, like scoreboard animations and the commercials for their sponsors and stuff. Um, there's always someone who's willing to do it cheaper for free, yeah. especially for the things that have that much visibility. Trying to get notoriety. Yeah, but it, they were great opportunities and fun um, experiences. So that um, was the second one I was going to bring up was you called me or texted me or something and said, hey, I've got seats for the BYU game on Saturday. Do you want them? And I took my dad and we're, we were blown away by where the seats were. And then you texted me and said, hey, come down and meet me at door, whatever. My dad and I walked down. We watched the first half of the game from the sideline with you. Do you remember that? That's, that's a f- that was that was one of the great perks of it. <laughs> I just remember we watched the Haka like 10 feet away. We watched the coin flip. Mm. We could see who won the coin flip. And then we were standing right by the end zone. We almost got taken out by a linebacker, <laughs> you know, in the end zone. Uh, it was crazy. That was such an awesome experience. So thank you again. That was like... 10 years ago or whatever, but yeah. I, m- my dad, I know will never forget. He still brings it up. I'll never forget it. That was just really cool. You've had all these cool experiences. So you do now you do a little bit of everything. You're a full creative agency. You do animation. Um, you do video, you do full campaigns, soup to nuts, all the creative and your specialty is storytelling is bringing out the stories. Are there any projects you've done that really stuck with you that were just amazing experiences we did projects for google for goldman sachs for panasonic and some big brands and some local brands and um and it was it was pretty much anyone who could fog a mirror or like whose check didn't bounce we'd take the project and there were some <laughs> there were some parameters there's ethical things we didn't do but it was it was sort of generalist and for whomever um we had a connection um, friend of a friend that introduced us that um, she was the event producer for this event, this um, gala that was being put on at the Vatican um, for the Laudato Si challenge. And so Pope Francis had 
issued this encyclical, sort of like a general conference talk, if you will, um, or like a manifesto statement um, that was all about the the two fragilities in the, in the world of the poor and the planet, and how do we, how can we use the free market to actually help help these, um, you know, our our people and our planet under these stewardships we have, and so he had some he had set up this uh, invitation for like there was this event being that was being done at the Vatican that was uh, building off of this Laudato Si um, principle that um, how do we pull together people from from business and from faith and different communities together to like, how do we solve some of these world problems and do good in the world? And so we were invited to, we were commissioned to create a film to kick this event off. Billionaires and millionaires, people from World Bank, a lot of different organizations coming together. Um, part of that process was um, one, understanding these points and these principles of, and like sort of this idea of social impact was new to me and and this idea that you could be for profit and for good. And we'd always sort of done through the years a handful of charity projects um, and we had to cap them because we would have said yes to all of them and never had any money to keep the lights on. So we were doing where our heart said, okay, we're doing charity projects over here, but then we've got to make our living on the, over here on the different side. And what the, at this event, we were, it was very, very much about do good and do well. How can you be for profit and for good? And this this film, Think a New Thought, that we created, um, and it was the brainchild of our creative director, Zach, put a lot of heart and soul into this piece of, for, in terms of brings in things from scripture and from Adam Smith and like weaves together in a, a really moving manifesto about the power of thinking, thinking a new thought, as a man thinketh, so is he. And how we th- are thinking about capitalism is the problem. How, and what if we saw it as a way that we can do good and we can, we don't have to be unkind and rape and pillage the world in order to, to provide. What if we could actually do both? What if we could take care of people and take care of the planet and, and take care of ourselves? And, and this film showed at this event, it was, uh, it was really well received. It was, uh, it was surprisingly well received. It was it was one of those cup runneth over moments. I mean, we left. People came up to us point blank and was like, "I want to hire you. I have a six figure budget. Let's make this happen." And it was like, that was not our sales process usually. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, Were you able to go out to the Vanica? Yeah. Vatican so, the so the four of us, the, our t- our core team. When we did the filming, and we also went and were at the event wow. as it, as it um, played, and it was a game changer for us. One of like, oh, these are these are amazing stories of like people doing good in the world that we love telling. We happen to be really good at it, and people are willing to pay us for it. Um, why don't we just do this? You know, and so you know, it's it's opened this whole new world for us of like social impact or mission driven organizations that might be a nonprofit that might be a cause brand that might be just a, an organization that is, um, is trying to do things right. Like we did a whole series for eBay about diversity and inclusion and um, bringing your whole self to work and not having to pretend to be somebody else, you know, when you, when you're in the workplace and, um, celebrating those differences. So it's, um, we see though that there's such a 
a powerful ability for stories to to make the world a better place. And we see our job as a megaphone, and that's kind of what Isimo means anyway, is a megaphone of, to help amplify the impact that these awesome. organizations are doing in the world. We're going to wrap things up with the question that uh, we ask all of our guests, which I did not prepare you for at all. I just realized my apologies. But we ask all of our guests, what does being a member of the church mean to you? I think it's it's something sacred. I think it's something I'm grateful for. Um, both of my grandpas were were converts, and those stories um, were meaningful to me. Um, I think as a kid, I used to think that... Um, it meant that I was better than other people. <laughs> and and I don't I, I, I'm trying not to to like feed into that in terms of um I I believe God loves all of his children immensely, um surprisingly like amazingly. Um I think there's there's a, a stewardship, a, a an opportunity to like actually love people like um Jesus Christ loved people. That's the distinguishing characteristic. By this shall men know you're my disciples. It's not whether I wear flip-flops to church. It's, it's, uh, it's not by a lot of these things that we sort of rank and judge other people. And, and we're all trying our best. And, um, and um, my personal Instagram was like, what do I put in my bio? Um, that little blurb at the bottom. And it's just love people. That's all mm. I have in there. One of the one of the things that um, that comes to mind, um, one of the engagements we got from that Vatican project, um, we walked out with a six figure deal for this. Um, it's the, one of the largest business accelerator programs in the world, but it's all focused on impact. And like they announce a challenge at the beginning of the year, we're going to help clean energy or sustainable food or youth unemployment, they're going to solve one world problem. And then they invite um, 100,000 students from around the world to come up with a business plan to like help address that. Business plan competition, top 40 go to a castle, they get mentored. Top six go to the United Nations. And one team, President Clinton hands a check for a million dollars. So, and they, they, they commissioned us to do a 10-year retrospective, like a documentary, short film, um, about the impact that they've made. So why am I bringing up the story? Um, one of the first uh, spots, we went to 17 different countries to cover this um, program. And um, we're in San Francisco. It's at, after this conference has ended. Um, and it sounds like the beginning of a joke, but there's a, a Muslim, an atheist, a Catholic, a Mormon, <laughs> and... Um, and one of my associates who is is Latter-day Saint and has one of the biggest hearts I know, but maybe is um, identifies less as a Latter-day Saint sure. now. So it's so sort of in in a in that sort of in-between state. And so we're sitting at dinner and I mentioned the Catholic. Did I say that in yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So one of the questions pops up about something from our faith and and, um, and how do we respond and what do we say and everyone's weighing in and what does the atheist say and what does the Muslim say and what does the Catholic say and what is an active Latter-day Saint and what is a less active Latter-day Saint but there was it was a magical experience of I had I had to step back and be like what what's actually 
unifying between all of us. And and what I what came to mind, I said a little prayer of like, what can I say? Um, none of it was accusatory, but some of it was just like, hey, we have different perspectives. And I was like, I I just know that God loves His children so much, and I think we're going to be surprised at how merciful and amazing He is when mm-hmm. we actually meet Him. And the wife of the so there's the two Catholics. The, the wife later told, told me like. Thank you for sharing that, and and even asked there there is had something come up about um she'd asked about like she'd kind of been disaffected from her faith because of just like the idea of of babies going to hell you know if they weren't baptized and like and that's when I brought that up of just like I think God's going to be a lot more understanding and and merciful and like um and I truly believe that it, we're going to look back and say it, it all worked out so much better than we could have ever imagined mm. um and. She said, thank you. That that gave me a lot of peace. That was like, um, thank you for sharing that. And and it wasn't, you know, there's times where maybe you try to slip a pass along card. I don't know if that always is the case. I don't know if that always needs to be the case. And there's, um, I don't know if we need to, but I, but I felt like that group could feel a bit of God's love. Like that, that's the best thing I could do in that moment. You know, that, that's, what is I guess that that story is maybe the best articulation of what does my membership mean to me? Like, yeah, I I didn't pretend to be somebody else there. I mm. was I had my faith, and I also saw the humanity of everybody in that. And uh, instead of it being I'm better than you or I'm different than you, and we can't relate, it's how amazing it is that we all are here and we can all say thank you to a father in heaven that, that, mm. um, that loves us. Awesome. He is a father, a husband, a filmmaker, producer, marketer, advertiser, storyteller, uh, and such a great guy. Jacob Haney, thank you for sharing your latter day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And my special thanks to my dear friend, Jacob Haney. I'm so grateful for him coming on and sharing his story of faith and what a blessing he is. Uh, Just such a good example of what happens when we put our faith in the Lord, the places that we can go. And I'm super excited to see Jacob's future and all the cool stuff he works on. You're a good man, Jacob. Uh, This week in my latter-day life, uh, I was down in San Diego on business for a few days. I've started traveling a little bit again Uh, And I think I've mentioned before that my office is down in San Diego. So I spent uh, a few days there. And this past week was just kind of a little bit of a rough week. There was a lot going on. And uh, I was just kind of road weary and just tired, I think. But uh, in any case, all of a sudden, uh, my phone rang while I was in a meeting. And I saw that it was Jason Hewlett calling. And we've mentioned... The joke is that Jason Hewlett's name has been mentioned more than anybody else's. Uh, You can go back and find, I don't know what episode number it is, but he was a guest on the show. He's a dear friend of mine, but he has been a a friend and a mentor to almost all the entertainment guests. Uh, Jason is one of the top speakers and entertainers in all of Utah. But he called me up and I missed the call because I was in a meeting. And as I was driving back to the airport to return my rental car before my flight, uh, I called him back. And he called and we were talking and I was kind of trying to get to, I hadn't talked to Jason in months. I was kind of trying to get to what he needed because I needed to return my rental car. 
And I said, so is everything good? You all right? And he said, yeah. He said, I just felt like we just needed to catch up. He said, I was just thinking to myself and you came across my mind. And as we started talking, I felt my soul just refilling. <laughs> my, my batteries were recharging and it felt so good to catch up with my dear old friend. One thing about Jason is we just have a very similar sense of humor. We definitely find the same things funny. And next thing you know, we were coming up with ridiculous scenarios and laughing and making each other laugh. And it was so refreshing. And I had some time before my flight that I actually pulled into a parking lot of an abandoned building (laughs) just so I wouldn't have to hang up the call because, you know, once you pull in to return the car, you have to get out and everything. And I sat for about a half an hour as my friend and I just made each other laugh. It's been a long time since we'd seen each other. And like I said, many months since we had spoken. But sitting there and laughing, it was so reassuring, and I'm so grateful that he thought of me that day. And maybe that's all I needed, was someone special to think of me, to just completely change my outlook. And I get those thoughts, you know, I wonder how this guy's doing, or I wonder how that person's doing, and I think I should really call them. And unfortunately, all too often, I say, and I'll do that one day. (laughs) And next thing you know, another six months goes by, or whatever. I was just so grateful, and I hope that as I get those thoughts, that I can check in with people. I don't even think I realized how much I needed that call that day. We talked for close to an hour, and I mean, I'm not kidding when I say I was laughing so hard it made me sick to my stomach. He texted me later and said that, you know, he he was still sore from laughing. And what a blessing he is, and what a blessing so many of my close friends are. I hope that I can be that blessing to some people, that voice when someone needs it. And again, I wasn't in a dire place. I wasn't, you know, it was just a tough week and hearing a voice really lifted me up. What a blessing it is to have people in our lives, true friends, people we love and who love us, with whom we have a special bond. And I find most of my closest friends aren't the people I talk to all the time. They're the people with whom I've formed a a bond over the years that I know will last the eternities. That is truly God's love, a love and a friendship that will go on and on. And I'm just so grateful to him, so grateful for all of my friends. And again, I am committed to being that friend for someone else. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We truly appreciate it. If you enjoy the show and you have not done so, if we could ask a huge favor, wherever you listen, if you could go and leave us a five-star review and actually write the review, it makes a big difference if there's a written review and it means the world to us. And what that does, the more written reviews we have, the more when people are searching for Latter-day Saint-based content, the more our show will, will show up or when people are just looking for good content. And we really appreciate it. If you want to reach out to us, we are on Facebook as well as on Instagram. Please send us a message. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you have any ideas for other guests. And uh, we're, we're very grateful for that. And I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it. Just not of it. Thanks for listening.